podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are doing well, still in a little bit of an interlow and of course we should apologise for the lack of content. We did have some plans for some uh, content and some episodes and some stuff to talk about. Unfortunately, owing to the current circumstances and stuff going on in the outside world, which has kind of made things a little bit difficult to make some content. And of course, everyone being so busy and obviously doing their own thing, which is, you know, there's always a good thing, but it's always makes it hard for everyone to make content on a regular basis. So apologies for that little bit of an interlude, but we are back. And of course, this is going to be the final episode before the Singapore Grand Prix preview. Now, for those of you that were following us on the audio platforms, you know that we had a brilliant little discussion regarding the 2026 engines with F1 techie Shabel Saloum and Rima Assad from Mina Grand Prix. I definitely recommend if you haven't already checked that out, you can do so on your favourite podcasting platform. And of course, if you do, make sure to leave us a nice little review and show some love to our friend over at Mina Grand Prix in the Middle East. You certainly will not regret it. But for those of you that aren't familiar with what we do. We are the independent F1 podcast made by the fans and for the fans as we bring you race reviews, race previews, and all the latest news, gossip, and talking events in the world of Formula One for your listening and viewing pleasure. Speaking of which, we're going to do a little bit of an F1 news roundup. It's been a while since we've done one, and of course, there's been plenty of news to talk about. So joining me on this episode, we've got the DNF1 crew back. It's been a while, guys. We've got Lee Wannington and Courtney Pine joining me once again. Lads, the core group is back. DNF1 in full flow this evening. First of all, guys, how are we doing? Have you not had a nice little bit of a break? Are we feeling recharged and ready for the final final segment, I suppose, of this F1 2022 season? Yeah, doing well. Um, yeah, you're right. We've got the full full strength squad back ready to do the final charge of the season. But yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been a while. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this channel goes for the rest of the season. Uh, obviously, we're still very keen to reach 1,000 subs. Uh, we're certainly on our way. So please, if you haven't subscribed yet, please join us and help us get to 1,000 subs. Yeah, absolutely right. Hit that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Help us get to a thousand subs by the end of the year, or at least as close as we can get. Let's see how we go with that one. Lee, joining us as well this evening. How are you doing, sir? All good? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's uh, It has been a while, as you said, and also this three-week hiatus in between races feels like the end of the season. The, the Start waiting for the next start of the season in the following year. Right, it's not months, but it just, we've had it thick and fast through the summer, and then they just stop. Yeah, you do miss the racing, um, so I'm looking forward to. Uh, we're finally getting towards the Singapore uh, uh, preview next week. Yeah, it really does, and you know, obviously these F1 seasons seem to be getting longer and longer, and of course they will be, and we'll be talking about that later on in this episode with a new calendar being unveiled for 2023 but it amazes me in a season where we have had races come left right and center thick and fast as you would like as fast as the RB18 and Max Verstappen's hands and yet when we do have a break as rare as that might seem it just feels 
like an eternity. Like I'm constantly wishing that the next Grand Prix is going to be coming up this weekend. And as this one comes out, we're still going to have to wait another weekend. So hopefully, hopefully the F1 season finale will not disappoint regardless of who you support. Hopefully it's going to be an entertaining show. But guys, look, we're going to be doing a bit of an F1 news roundup. And in this episode, I wanted to discuss a few things making the news. Of course, a few things that have been announced today at the point of recording the Alpine driver test that we've been hearing about that were happening this week as we speak and of course what that's going to mean for their driver lineup for next season as well as the other teams the news about Daniel Ricciardo will he still be in F1 in 2023 and in what capacity will that be and of course what do we think of the current situation do we believe that he should be a reserve driver should he be driving for one of the bigger teams or perhaps Do we feel that he might need to take a sabbatical? And then we're going to round off the episode with a little discussion on the new calendar. The F1 2023 calendar already creating headlines and controversy for not only being the longest F1 calendar in, well, recorded memory, but also one of the most strange and controversial for a few different reasons, some of which not related to F1 at all. But guys, let's start off with the breaking news today and we had two bits of breaking news and I want to start with the nice and easy one Yuki Tsunoda signing a contract extension with AlphaTauri for 2023 now this is some news that we kind of expected to happen not just because of the current circumstances where AlphaTauri kind of need to make sure their driver lineup is confirmed sooner rather than later but there just didn't really seem to be anyone else that could be in that seat except for Yuki Tsunoda so First of all, of course, congrats to Yuki Tsunoda. I'm glad that he's going to be around for at least another season. Courtney, you seem quite happy about this news. Um, What are your thoughts on this? Was this the right decision for AlphaTauri? And and did Yuki deserve his seat for next year? Yeah, I think think the move to keep Yuki makes sense for several reasons. Uh, First of all, obviously, Pierre Gasly's future is still sort of up in the air. So they needed to tie down at least one driver. Second point is the fact that he's actually been performing better this season. Obviously, Alpha Tauri of the team has sort of tailed off into sort of nothingness in the second half of the season. But in terms of relative performance, Yuki's been doing a solid job for the team. Another thing that comes into play is the fact that, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about this Red Bull Porsche deal sort of falling through. So it looks like the Red Bull Honda marriage is going to go on for looks like it'll be going on for next few seasons at least. So that marriage will always benefit Yuki Tsunoda, obviously, because of Japanese representation. So there are plenty of reasons why this this deal for Alpha Tauri and Yuki Tsunoda makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's hard to judge Yuki Tsunoda's performances compared to the car that he's had. I mean, Franz Tost has openly admitted, the team principal Alpha Tauri has openly admitted that the Alpha Tauri has not been good enough. They're fighting in P8 in this Constructors' Championship, although right now I'd probably bank on them to be the favourites for P7 at this point with only six races to go. Yuki Tsunoda himself, whilst I think at times he has driven better than he did in his rookie season, he hasn't scored a point since the Spanish Grand Prix. And he's only scored half the points of Pierre Gasly, a driver who was a very much a slow starter in 2022 but of course over time found his way a little bit and has very much spearheaded this Alpha Tauri attack in the second half of the season so there's still a lot of boxes I think for Yuki Tsunoda to tick in order to convince those in the Red Bull program that he is the real deal at least for the team in the long term so I can understand why they've signed him on a one-year deal and let's not forget Yuki is a guy that 
you know, Franz Toss has had a lot of positive things to say about him, despite the fact that he can, he can be somewhat erratic from some races. I think we can all agree with that. His yeah. pace is definitely evident there. And he's a driver that I think Franz Toss really likes to work with and develop. And obviously, not saying Yuki doesn't work hard. I know he's quite reluctant sometimes and obviously wants to enjoy himself and have some fun. He doesn't really like training or the simulator work, but he does do it nonetheless. He does, you know, stick to those routines. So there is certainly potential there. And I think given the current strains that Red Bull are currently facing with their own program in terms of who they have available to put in that car in their own academy or lack thereof, you like, I think it's a fairly straightforward decision to at least keep Yuki on for another season. Lee, we haven't heard from you yet. What are your thoughts on this Sonoda situation? Do you think this is the right decision for both parties? Well, I think you between the two, you already covered the main points that the the situation that Red Bull AlphaTauri find themselves in. Um, we we said uh, a couple of seasons ago, and it goes a couple of seasons, yeah, about Yuki staying for this year. He needed to step up. He did a little, as you said, he's done a little step up, but he hasn't done enough. But there's no one else knocking on the door to take that seat from him, um, as you mentioned. So he's he's quite comfortable and reassuring that the. The Red Bull Junior program that used to be full of drivers and they're all um, fighting each other to get that junior F1 seat, so to speak, being the AlphaTauri, being the junior team of Red Bull. But it's, they've emptied their reserves. They've got people lower down in the lower formulas, but there's no one knocking in Formula 2 um, or in Max Verstappen's case in go-karting <laughs> um, to get into uh, into Formula 1. So they have a, a gap there in their program, which I think is a larger problem that Red Bulls need to look at. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I don't think the Yuri Vip situation really helped Red Bull either. I no. mean, no. we don't need to go into details and in that a lot of people that follow this show and follow F1 know what we're talking about when we talk about Yuri Vips. And Yuri was the guy that a lot of people touted to be the next in line for an opportunity in the Red Bull program with AlphaTauri in particular. He may have earned himself an opportunity for next season. It did seem that he was going to be lined up for that, but owing to what he did and what he said, more importantly, which of course was wrong on all levels, um, he's not going to be, well, he's not going to get in that. He's not going to get that opportunity. I think we can pretty much uh, say it as bluntly as that. Liam Lawson, on the other hand, another driver with a lot of promise, a lot of talent. You know, he, for me, I think he is definitely one to keep an eye on in a few years. Right now, whilst he has done okay, in the F2 season this this season. He's had a few good moments, a few race wins. I'm not convinced he's ready yet for an F1 drive. So I think it's a smart move to keep Sonoda. And Sonoda's only 22. Let's not forget, you know, it's not like he's in his mid-20s or mid to late 20s and he's got to establish himself now in F1 or be chucked out um, for the next guy waiting in line. So, yeah, I as I said, I think right now it's more out of convenience. And of course, I think there's a, a desire on both sides to see this f- all the way through. So, yeah, I think it's a sensible decision. I don't think it was one we expected to not happen. But now that it has, I suppose, the focus for Yuki and AlphaTauri will be to get the most out of this in 2023 and, and hopefully secure something a bit more long-term. I think another thing, you know, we've mentioned the, the Japanese connection. Uh, we've spoken a lot about um, Wan Yuzhou and the Chinese audience. I, I think for the Red Bull programme, obviously having a Honda World Championship you know, winning engine uh, last season, and obviously they're going to do a, a full sweep this season. Having that and a Japanese driver is going to be so good for not only Red Bull, but for F1 in terms of marketing, particularly in Japan, because 
sometimes the Japanese audience almost gets forgotten because where F1 is such a sort of Euro- European central sport and you get the American aspect of it that is growing, we sometimes forget how passionate the Japanese are about Formula One. You know, we're going to Suzuka in a couple of weeks where you're going to be having to say, you're going to have a, a home driver and you're also going to have a championship winning engine. We saw when, um, when McLaren dominated, how much the Japanese followed um, McLaren and Ayrton Senna in particular. It would be interesting to see how the Japanese, I wonder, I wonder if they've sort of fallen in love with Max Verstappen the way they did with Ayrton Senna. You've got that aspect, so that might help them from a marketing perspective. And also having a Japanese driver in their programme, it makes a hell of a lot of sense for various reasons. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, that race is coming up fairly soon. And of course, this will be Yuki's opportunity to race in Formula One in front of his home crowd for the first time. I know there's been some issues relating to the pandemic that has prevented that for some time. But of course, we're going to be going back to Suzuka very, very soon. And you're right, Corny, the the fan base is absolutely unique. I mean, my favourite is always those fans. I don't know, you know, there's always a few of them, but the ones that have the race cars on hats that they wear around the circuit. And it's usually the ones where you've got the um, the little tubes and the beer f- filtering through them as well. And it's a combination and of that. And the DRS flap. Yes, I want one of those. <laughs> those look really, really cool. I absolutely love that. It's the detail though, isn't it? It's the detail. It is impressive. Oh yeah, you've got to love the Japanese for that. Literally, there's no, there's, there's no compromise for detail with them. I mean, that's probably why, you know, Honda in particular, why they're so successful and obviously what they've done, you know, no stone left unturned in terms of detail. So you've got to commend that. It's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I think it's a good move for all those around. And yeah, hopefully next season, Yuki can use this, uh, I don't want to say reprieve because I think that's a bit unfair, but opportunity to really start to grow a bit more in the sport and really show his mettle. Because I do feel that Whilst a one-year deal is probably a good incentive to keep him motivated, he will want something a bit more secure long-term. The only way he's going to get that is make himself indispensable within that program. So let's see how things go. But of course, let me know your thoughts, guys, in the comment section on this news regarding Sonoda. Do you think it's a good decision that Alpha Tauri are keeping him on? Or would you rather have seen Alpha Tauri bring someone else in? And if so, let me know who in the comment section. Next piece of news I want to talk about, Alpha Romeo, a little bit of a teaser for an announcement next week. On their social media today, uh, we're recording Thursday evening, they are teasing an announcement on the 27th of September. So that'll be next Tuesday, I believe. Strange day for an announcement, but I'm sure they have their reason. Probably want to keep that separate from the F1 weekend in Singapore, where the focus will obviously be there. So guys, with that being said, what are we expecting this announcement to be? Courtney, what do you think it's going to be? Uh, It's going to be a well-needed rebranding because I've been very vocal about how bland Alfa Romeo have become as a team in recent seasons. Obviously there, there's talk of a, a certain team sort of taking over the branding rights um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a team that's in, it's been in need of a fresh start since Charles Leclerc left for Ferrari. You know, Kimi Raikkonen sort of gave them some interest. Obviously the Chinese audience coming in with Juan Yuzhou has given them a little bit of a reprieve but yeah, Alfa Romeo have been a team that sort of need a rebranding. So it looks like it's coming and I think it's good news for them. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Courtney referring to no less than the Audi Sport Group from the Volkswagen Group. Obviously, Audi, one of the manufacturers or engine suppliers in this case, looking for an entry in Formula One for 2026. 
and they obviously had a bit of an unveiling for a mock-up 2022 car to show their intention of being in Formula One in 2026 when the new engine rules take place. Of course, very much a big part of the discussions for those new engine regulations, cementing their place on the F1 grid. And it does look likely, in, in our opinion, that that's going to be the news announcement. Unless, of course, Lee has any other ideas or alternate suggestions as to what this news could be for next Tuesday with Alfa Romeo. No, I, I fully think it's going to be Audi unless it's going to be like Valtteri announcing his retirement or something, which I really hope it's not. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I, I, was hoping for, I was hoping for something unique there. I was thinking, you know, Bottas seems quite open to uh, having photos of his bare backside yeah. painted or done on drive to survive <laughs> for the cameras to see. I was perhaps an underwear line, not that I'd be interested in that, but obviously... <laughs> You know, you never know. I don't even know why I suggested it now, but never mind. Um, any any crazy suggestions you've got, guys? Let us know in the comments. What do you think this Alfa Romeo announcement is going to be? Or the Sauber Group, we should say by example. It could be a Bottas thing. It could be something. It could be a line of porridge or espressos, maybe something a bit more, a uh, bit more appropriate, I suppose, than an underwear line. But you know, fashion is fashion, and it's each to their own. Let's move on to uh, some of the other news talking points before we get really sidetracked. And of course, the first big one is what is going to happen regarding that Alpine second seat. Now, there have been a lot of drivers that have been linked with this seat for some time since Fernando Alonso dropped the huge bombshell. Um, I think it was, was it 1st of August or something like that. Just starting off silly season, really, really crazy stuff, saying that he was going to be leaving the team for Aston Martin. And then this was very quickly followed by Oscar Piastri, after being announced as the number two driver for Alpine in 2023, that he was not going to be doing that and ended up signing for McLaren instead for 2023, which now leaves Alpine with a very big decision to make. And to help with that decision, they had themselves a private driver test with a 2021 Alpine sanctioned by the FIA to allow them to do this, to collate data on a few of the prospective list of drivers for their seat for 2023. In that test... They had included Nick DeVries, Antonio Giovinazzi, former Formula One driver, part of the Ferrari team at the moment as a reserve and development driver. And of course, they also had Jack Doohan, the F2 driver, part of the Alpine Driver Academy. They also had Colton Herter, the IndyCar driver, joining them for this test. However, owing to the current situation where Colton Herter could not get an F1 seat owing to the lack of super license points, controversial that may be, he is no longer being considered, uh, not necessarily for the Alpine seat, but for the Red Bull program as well. And of course, we'll explain a little bit more in detail. Now, guys, those three names in particular, let's not worry about Colton for a moment, but let's focus on Giovinazzi, Nick DeVries and Jack Doohan, potential drivers on this list for Alpine seat. Uh, second seat alongside Esteban Ocon for 2023. Also want to throw in the mix, Pierre Gasly, the driver that I think a lot of us feel is the favourite for that seat. The marquee signing almost makes this test a little bit redundant, if you think about it. But guys, what did you what have you made of this situation with Alpine right now? Because we've obviously mentioned five drivers there, four of which were actually being considered for this role. One driver we feel is definitely going to be in this, Otmar Schaffner, Announced not long ago, he had a list of around 14, 15 drivers. I have no idea where that list has come from. I can only come up with around six or seven realistic options before it starts getting really silly. But what have you made of this Alpine situation right now? 
think the, the, the sort of like driver audition, that, that, that's probably the best way to uh, describe it. It's almost like something out of like the X Factor or The Apprentice, like something out of a reality show. You know, four drivers, one seat, who will win? It's something, it just seems like a little bit, I don't know, it's, it's, it's certainly different. There's nothing wrong with doing it. But if you have a look through the drivers that you mentioned, obviously with uh, Jack, Jack Duhon, you say the F2 driver, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think at, at this stage he'd be thrusted straight into the team right away. He's probably more likely to be looking for a reserve driver role. Um, with Giovinazzi, I I think he's had his chance in Formula One. He, he's he's uh, he's an okay driver, but given the amount of talent that are looking for seats in Formula One, there are plenty of other drivers ahead of him. I think Nick DeVries would be a really good choice. You know, we saw how well he did at Williams. I think a lot of teams will be looking to make Nick DeVries a part of their plans for the future. Um, but interestingly, even though probably Gasly looks like he's going to probably be the driver to go there. Ocon seems to be very keen to have Mick Schumacher be a part of the team. And, you know, we see how well they get on. So that'd be a dynamic that would work. So even though Pierre Gasly is probably going to be the most likely option, I think the sort of ongoings around Alpine are going to continue for a while. Yeah, it's a very strange one. I mean, we should stress, of course, the reason why we're so confident about Pierre Gasly is because that obviously the big part of that was depending on whether they could agree his release from Red Bull because currently he is signed up to race for AlphaTauri in 2023. They made that announcement earlier in the season in June, I believe it was, that he was going to be staying with the team. As it stands, that seems to be the case. But of course, Red Bull, obviously whilst it may not seem like the sensible decision from a business perspective to let Pierre Gasly go to Alpine rather than stay within the team, the proviso was that I believe that Alpine could have Gasly as long as Red Bull had a ready-made replacement lined up. And that was meant to be Colton Herter. This is why Colton originally was going to be driving at this Alpine test. It wasn't necessarily for Alpine's benefit. It was more to prove with the data he could collate that he was ready for a chance in F1, which Red Bull would use. They would then sign him if he had the super license points for AlphaTauri, and then Gasly would be free to join Alpine. So it was within Alpine's interest. That all said, it just feels that with what's going on with Gasly, and from what I understand, and of course don't take this as a gospel, it does seem like what has been required for Gasly to join Alpine is now ready to be signed off and he should be joining them next season. Of course, that's what I think is going to happen at this point and what I've heard seems to back that up. So we'll have to wait and see. But it does seem to have made a mockery of this Alpine test. And it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of been a bit of a shambles, this whole thing with Alpine. I mean, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? And I want to leave you with one quick nugget of information before obviously you weigh in on this one. But bear in mind, Alpine have kind of been... Well, their pants have been pulled down, for a lack of a better way of putting it, because they've been so reluctant to act quickly or strike when the momentum was in their favour. That's why they lost Alonso. That's why they lost um, Piastri to McLaren. Yet they find themselves in a situation now where they can afford to take their time, collate this data. And whilst the options are there, it's one of those strange situations that they can actually now take their time and probably shouldn't rush to making a decision. Well, firstly... They, we've been moaning about Alpine throughout the season about their odd management structure and then the the mismanagement that is done higher up within the Alpine family. So the fact that they've now got themselves together and realised they don't need to rush, they don't need to 
just sign any driver that looks their way. They could, they have the time. They've got a seat, and a driver wants a seat. They can be choosy about it. The fact that they've been sensible in that approach, I, it means that maybe they're actually starting to realise that <laughs> being slow, um, slow isn't always wrong. But it's choosing the right time to when to be quick and when to be slow to act. Um, so I think it's great um, that they're thinking about it properly and analysing it. But I did want to mention one of the um, points Courtney said. Maybe it's a the test is a new Drive to Survive spin-off series where they uh, do the Alpine testing and who gets to see it. I mean, Netflix do their reality TV shows, so it's... Uh, it, it could have been. It could have been something that Alpine and Netflix read. Uh, probably not, but it would be hilarious. Don't roll it out, Lee. <laughs> Seen the way the last couple of seasons have gone. <laughs> I mean, we are doing. I mean, in the UK, for anyone that knows, obviously, when you wake up in the morning and breakfast time, television is usually dominated on Channel Four by either Everybody Loves Raymond, Frasier, or F- uh, Third Rock from the Sun, or something like that. You know, all, all of the above. So we could probably do with some new shows, making some fresh entertainment, and perhaps the situation at Alpine might be quite entertaining for F1 fans or something to laugh at. I mean, it has been a bit of a circus, for lack of a way of putting it. And this is the team that we've often talked about that has had so many struggles in establishing a management structure, especially when Lauren Rossi has been in charge. It just doesn't feel like they seem to learn from their mistakes at the moment. No, not at all. And I've, it's, it's strange because, like, obviously, you know, he only has a certain element of control, but when Otmar Schaffner was at Force India, and obviously went on to be racing point. He always was like able to like, you know, sail a steady ship on a limited budget. And it just seems he's not able to have the influence at Alpine the way that he did with his previous teams. So yeah, there, there's certainly something not right at Alpine. And it, it does seem like they're a team that sort of lost their pull. Like they're not able to like bring in the bigger drivers like they were able to in the past because I was always able to bring in like that one-star driver. So, you know, you had Alonso and then before you had um, Danny Ricciardo. Whereas now, I know Gasly, we, we all know how good Gasly can be, but even if they were to have Gasly and Ocon, they won't, they don't seem to have like that one-star driver that every midfield team wants to have. So, you know, obviously with Alfa Romeo, they got Bottas, who's obviously been with a championship winning car, Aston Martin had Vettel, now they're getting Alonso. They're not, they just don't seem to have that same pull and they haven't performed bad. It goes beyond the performance part. It shows maybe a lack of ambition and maybe maybe the drivers that they've been linked with or maybe some other drivers they've been linked with are picking up on a drama and they're like, no, I don't want to be a part of a team that sort of operates like the way they do. And this is the interesting thing, because this is such a lucrative seat. I mean, if you're not currently driving a McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull or Mercedes, or you're not currently attributed to the Alpine team and on the way out, it's the most attractive seat on the grid Mm -hmm. by far. And yet the struggles that they've had to try and get in the drivers that it wanted. This is why, you know, with, with Jack doing this, a nice opportunity to have him run around and see how he stacks up to current and experienced F1 drivers, technically speaking, in De Vries and Antonio Giovinazzi. So it's kind of a good barometer to see where Connie is. I couldn't see a scenario unless it went horribly wrong with all respect, due respect to Jack Doohan, where he ends up in that seat next season. He's just not ready for it. You know, maybe another year in F2, you know, he goes on to win that championship. Then, yeah, absolutely. And, and bear in mind, you know, we had Lauren Rossi come out and say some things about Piastri saying he wasn't a team player or he didn't have the patience in the Alpine Academy. 
when have Alpine ever promoted a driver from the academy into Formula One? You know, you have to go back far as the Renault days to find someone. And even then, someone's going to have to tell me who that is because I can't think of who that last driver was, quite frankly. It seems so long ago. I mean, you've probably got to go as far back as someone like Romain Grosjean, for example. That's how far ago we're talking, unless there's anyone more recent. Well, that, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think, where, where did they get Julian Palmer from? Oh, yeah, so he would he probably would have been. But wasn't, Julian he, wasn't he from um, the Red Bull program before that? Wasn't he a part of that? Don't rule that out, because that's the only one I could think of in recent memory would be Julian Palmer, but I'm not certain. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right, Corny, to be fair. But, yeah, guys, if you're going to do a quick search on the Google and let me know. I feel old now calling it the Google. But, yeah, just do a quick search. <laughs> let me know um, who the last driver, Alpine slash Renault, brought forward from their academy. It's going to be someone blatantly obvious and I completely missed it. But, yeah, I, I just... I don't really get what Lauren Rossi is on about when he's talking that way about Piastri. And I think Piastri made the right move, quite frankly. It all worked out pretty well. Good luck to him. Hopefully he absolutely smashes it with Lando Norris at McLaren next season. I certainly think he will. So, yeah, I, I'm not confident. I just I just feel like it's been a waste of time, this Alpine test. I think we all kind of know that it looks very, very likely right now that Gasly is going to be Ocon's teammate next season. Now, of course, a lot of people have been very quick to point out that these two don't get on. They've never really liked each other from their young racing days. But ultimately, Courtney, you made a really good point. I kind of want to explore this a bit further because we've basically got a situation here where we've got two young French drivers, plenty of potential and quality, both Grand Prix winners at the highest level, but ultimately not team leaders. And at no point have they really demonstrated that they are. I mean, you could argue Ocon to a degree has done pretty well. Gasly, Yes, at Alpha Tauri. Yes, he's probably the leader out of the two between him and Sonoda. But Alpha Tauri is a weird situation. You can't really lead that team. It kind of just takes the instructions and guidance from Red Bull and just does what it wants to with it. Ocon at, Al at Alpine is never going to be a team leader in the same team as Fernando Alonso. It doesn't matter how much experience you have, it's just not going to happen. So Alpine right now, they've got two potentially two very good drivers on their books, but no one really to guide that direction or direct the team on development going forward. So I'm not really sure how this is going to work. It looks good on paper. It looks exciting, a young team, but you really do need to have an out-and-out -out number one driver leading that team going forward and a reliable, solid young number two doing their part as well. I feel like you've got two 1.5 drivers, if you like. Mm. Not necessarily a number one and number two. So what are your thoughts on this one, Lee, um, if Gasly is the guy to join Alpine? Well, I, I wonder if Esteban's had some conversations with Fernando asking about how much he paid uh, the McLaren engineers to, when he was alongside Lewis. So he uh, you, heard that. <laughs> you heard that story. I think, wasn't that Mark Priestley <laughs> yeah. that mentioned that? Yeah, see, this is funny enough, guys. We were talking about um, the pit stop podcast for those of you that heard of that i was listening to that the other day with mark Priestley, and he actually mentioned that so um yeah there's a nice little anecdote about fernando alonso actually paying a little bonus or offering a little bit of money to the mclaren engineers to give him a bit more favoritism over one young sir lewis hamilton many years ago obviously fernando doing what he can as fernando does to get supremacy in the team so uh maybe you're right maybe that's what ocon will do he'll start handing out some uh yeah, a fair, a fair few hundred euros to his mechanics to get a supremacy in that team. Who knows? Yeah, um, jokes aside, he, the, I, I don't think it will. Be, they'll have a number one. I think it's gonna be. You remember how Nico and Lewis were at Mercedes? That the officially was no number one. I think it's gonna be a very similar environment to that Mercedes team. 
um, where they're going to be pushing each other to get the results. But obviously, I wouldn't be—I don't expect them to be in a championship fight. But the way they've been pushing forwards, it's going to get a few nasty clashes, which happens when they obviously uh, don't like each other. Um, but I think Esteban's looking at the long-term game. When you see some of his remarks, his comments he's come out recently, that he's got a bright future ahead of him. And looking at twenty-three or twenty-four onwards, obviously potentially there may be the eye that he's looking at Sir Lewis's seat if uh, Sir Lewis walks away from Mercedes. Well, obviously he may not do, but it doesn't stop Esteban um, exploring that option. I mean, it's an interesting comparison, but um, unlike Sir Lewis and Nico Rosberg, I don't see a team leader at the moment in either Ocon or Gasly. I see two very good drivers and... You know, Nico and Sir Lewis were so brilliant at what they did that you could literally divide that Mercedes garage. And that's ultimately what they did between the two of them. And one just managed his area. The other, It was like they were driving two very, very different cars, ultimately. Like, it wasn't like their teammates. You, unless it was painted the same colour, you'd be forgiven for thinking that they were two different drivers in two very different cars leading their own half of the garage. Whilst I can understand there might be a situation like that with uh, Alpine just to keep both the guys happy, I'm just not confident that you're going to get that same level of leadership from either one of Ocon and Gasly. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're absolutely wrong and they surprise us. But from what I've seen so far from these two, I'm excited by this potential partnership. But I'm not exactly thinking that Alpine are thrilled about it either. I think they would have very much rather have had Fernando Alonso still around with Esteban Ocon for a little bit longer. I think, look, if, if we have a, a partnership of Ocon and Gasly at Alpine, it's going to be brilliant for us to watch because there's it, there's going to be fireworks. There's going to be high-profile incidents both on and off track. It's going to be great for us making content. We're going to have plenty to talk about next season. But for Alpine as a team, it's going to be a disaster, not just a PR disaster, but also I can, I can see them crashing into each other. I, I can see it happening. You know, we, Ocon already has previous of that with Sergio Perez. Yes, he was younger, maybe he's matured since. But the fact that there's like this underlying feeling, it's it's like basically being a stuck at work with somebody that you don't like. If you're sort of in that sort of sort of contained space with somebody you don't like, it's always bound to blow over into something big. So again, it's going to be fantastic for us to watch, but for Alpine, it would be an. I, I do think it would be a disaster for him. Yeah, I think this is one of those which is really. It, it's not very good for the team if you think of that team dynamic. It's like you said, Courtney, with that metaphor, for example, you've got two very, very good guys in their respective roles, neither of which are adequately qualified, if you think, for that senior position that they both oh so want so much, and yet it's just going to be an absolute, well, not calamity, but it's going to be, well, it's going to be entertaining. I'll say that much. I mean, one of them is going to excel or something, you know, we hope they both would, but uh, it it's kind of raises the question, the Ricardo conundrum really, because that's the guy there that, yes, of course, you know, you, you can point to what's happened the last two years, especially this year and say that the McLaren project has not worked. It's failed, but is still a driver that has that leadership experience. You know, he he took over at Red Bull after Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he pretty much forced Sebastian out of that team and into the Ferrari. Okay, it wasn't exactly the worst landing in the world for Sebastian Vettel, but it was a move that was very much forced by how impressive Ricardo was. And he was able to lead that team going forward until, of course, Max Verstappen came in. And obviously that went in a new direction after that. 
And this is a guy that's got plenty of experience of being able to take a team going forward. You know, he did the same thing when he went to Renault. So it's not like they don't know him. And in Stone, you know, it's the same guy. So I just feel mm. like, yes, despite the decline, why is Ricardo not seriously being considered because of the leadership qualities? And who's to say if Ricardo went and went back, who's to say he wouldn't turn out fine or he, he might recover? I mean, we're, t- we're talking about an isolated example with McLaren where it hasn't worked out, but maybe it's just because it was at McLaren. Mm. It didn't work out there. Maybe he comes back to Alpine with a new lease of life, feeling rejuvenated, enjoying himself, and it just works and it clicks. I don't know. I feel like Alpine being so quick to dismiss keeping Ricardo or bringing Ricardo in is probably a bit naive, given that he's probably the best option available, even value for money. But I mean, what what are your thoughts, guys? Do you think Alpine should actually try to bring Ricardo in, or do you feel that that's too much of a risk now, given what we know following his McLaren um, under, underwhelming performances at McLaren? I should say. Uh, I, I think it, I completely agree with you. It's it's certainly the move that would make the most sense. Um, I, I honestly, I just don't, I just don't understand what's happening at Alpine. Um, you know everything we've discussed. They they seem desperate almost. You know, it just seems to be a team that needs to be really careful because we know how competitive that midfield is, and it seems like. They're, they're making moves, they're making the wrong moves and they could find themselves at the bottom of this, this midfield battle. And, you know, we've seen how quickly teams can decline if they're not on point when they're in that position. So the choices that they make in the next few weeks are going to be vital for them. Yeah, very, very true. Lee, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, if you were Lauren Rossi, would Ricardo be top of your list or would you go for the Gasly option? Right, the classic adage in Formula One is you're only as good as your last race. And unfortunately for Daniel, his races haven't been very good. Um, so that's the benefit for Pierre. But I, I have the two. I personally would pick Daniel, but you would obviously do it on a, a one-year contract. Daniel may have to sacrifice a bit of a salary because they may not want to pay him what he believes he should be earning. But I, I think from a a Formula One driver, you don't want to be out of the sport. You don't want to be a reserve driver, especially if you're a proven race winner. So you, I think Daniel should should be willing to take a salary cut. But for the fact that they're not even looking at him, I do agree. I think it's very silly and naive. It's he I, the McLaren car has not worked for him this year and last year, but he hasn't forgotten how to drive. Exactly. Um, so there is still a good Daniel in there. We saw it last year in Monza. He just, for some reason, he woke up after, in that terrible season the last year, he had that one race that there's Daniel and Daniel's still there. Just he can't get out of his current car. So I fully would expect him if he's in a different car to feel comfortable and extract that performance. Mm. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm just at a loss why they're not uh, considering Daniel in this. Yeah, I mean, it could be a money thing. You know, that, that could always be a factor. Daniel's asking for so much money, but then I, I don't know why he would be because he's just had a massive payout from McLaren to leave the team a year earlier than he was expecting to. So, you know, it's not like he's going to be short a few quid. I mean, he could comfortably retire today and live a very luxurious life. Not that F1 drivers at a certain point in their careers really care about the money too much, although maybe Fernando Alonso is an exception. I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying he's the only one money motivated. They all are in their own right. You know, you get what you're worth and, and don't ask for a penny less, I suppose. But... When it comes to the Ricardo situation, 
it just feels strange to leave him out or to not really take him seriously. And I, I totally understand that the last two years, particularly this season, have not exactly been the best of Daniel Ricciardo, you know, but he's not exactly a driver, as you said, Lee, that's forgotten how to drive. We're talking about the McLaren that's had a lot of issues this season with the car. It's been so inconsistency on the aero compared to the Alpine, for example, who obviously has been very good at every single circuit. Daniel's obviously spoken quite highly of, you know, how well his teammate Lando Norris has done and adapted to the car in a way that Daniel has just struggled to. You know, Lando's had to adapt to the McLaren as well. He's not just, you know, plugged it in and driven and, you know, he was struggling at the start of the season and now he's found a way through it. It's so hard to compare. I mean, I'm not suggesting you stick Daniel Ricciardo in a different car. All of a sudden, he's as good as Lando Norris. I don't think that's the case. But right now, I think it's probably worth the risk. Given the options that they have, I think it's probably more sensible to bring Ricciardo in, as you said, Lee, maybe for a year or two, rather than try and see if you can make something out with Ocon and Gasly. I mean, look, whether it's, well, whether it's Gasly or not, you know, you're going to get a good driver anyway. I just need to quickly dismiss Ricciardo is a little bit naive under the circumstances. But hey, look, you know, that's our opinion on this one. Let us know what you think, guys. Who should Alpine put in their car for 2023? It looks likely right now it's going to be Pierre Gasly because Red Bull look like they've got a driver lined up for the Alpha Tauri uh, for next season, which we believe is Nick DeVries. After his impressive showing at the Italian Grand Prix, he admitted that he'd sat down with... Uh, Dr. Helmut Marco to talk about this prospect and it looks very likely right now that rather than drive for Williams next season he's going to be heading over to AlphaTauri but of course that is what we've heard that's not confirmed yet we'll have to wait and see if that is the case but if that is the case that would make sense in why it looks likely that Gasly's going to Alpine with Red Bull looking happy to release him now that they're bringing in an adequate replacement and hopefully that happens because I'm you know I really want to see Nick DeVries in Formula 1 I think he's proven to everyone that he's capable. So, uh, yeah, let's see how that goes. It doesn't really make sense on paper when you're swapping Gasly for De Vries. I think Gasly's definitely the better driver, but I think under the circumstances, Red Bull are never going to keep Gasly forever, so it's probably a sensible piece yeah. of business for all round. But let's focus on the Ricardo situation, guys. I want to move on to this one specifically because, of course, we've already talked about him potentially, well, not going to Alpine at all, and obviously, while well, we think that doesn't make sense, but right now, if you're Daniel Ricardo. Bearing in mind, if everything that we've already said comes to fruition with Joe Guan Yu staying at Alfa Romeo, Pierre Gasly going to Alpine, and also Nick DeVries going to Alfa Tauri, in theory, that only leaves two potential seats left for Ricardo at Haas and also one at Williams. Now, let's not forget, guys, that Daniel Ricardo was often linked with a reserve seat at Mercedes, one that he seemed quite happy to entertain and potentially take on. There's obviously the option of a sabbatical, maybe racing another series for a year that Daniel was not exactly ruled out. So what are you, what are our thoughts on this one, guys? Because right now I'm a little bit torn. I'm not sure a driver of Daniel's age, I mean, he's 33 now, but of course, you know, by the time, if he does take a sabbatical, he'll be 35. I'm not quite sure if that's the right decision. That said, I'm not sure that the available seats for him are quite good enough for him to stay in Formula 1 for. So, what are your thoughts, guys? Courtney, what should... If you were Daniel Ricciardo, what would you do? Well, first of all, I can't imagine him at Haas. I don't know... I, I, I don't know why, obviously, they've been, they've been better this season, but I just don't see Haas sort of matching what Daniel wants to do moving forward. 
Williams, it depends if they've got a solid plan moving forward. If they have a real concrete plan to propel themselves up the midfield, that might interest him. You know, having both, um, you know, both driver and team sort of in that same mindset where they want to get back to where they feel they should be. Maybe, if they, as I say, maybe if they've got some good ideas, he might be interested in that. The Mercedes reserve role is an interesting one because it also depends on where Mercedes want to go long term. So, say Lewis retires at the end of the next season. Mercedes are either going to go two ways. The first, the first, first option would be to replace Lewis with another star driver. Now, you're looking at the likes of Leclerc, Verstappen, maybe a Lando Norris to replace Lewis. And then the other option is maybe they want George to be the star driver and then Daniel will be the backup driver. That That's that's the option that would suit Daniel Ricciardo. But I just get the feeling that if Lewis was to retire, they would want to bring in one of the biggest names in the sport. So I think even a move to like the Mercedes reserve seat might not even work out in his favour. I mean, that's an interesting one with Ricardo because the Mercedes seat, yes, of course, that is tantalizingly tempting. And, you know, there's always, you never really know with Formula One. I mean, drivers always talk about wanting to take a break and find their way back in. I mean, we had this with Alex Albon, who had a forced break and obviously came back and is doing really well with Williams. We also had the same with Kevin Magnussen, who's gone back to the team that got rid of him and look how well he's doing this season. So, you know, drivers talk about, even Sir Lewis Hamilton at one point talked about potentially having a sabbatical, but of course, given how quickly F1 moves forward, it just didn't seem to be an appropriate time for it for a year. So it'd be a real nightmare for him to try and come back, even for him, a driver of his calibre and, you know, being the most decorative driver in Formula 1, arguably by some, as the greatest of all time. It would have been even more difficult for him. So for Ricardo, yeah, I'm not sure sabbatical would make sense. The Mercedes seat... Yeah, I think gambling on Sir Lewis Hamilton retiring in the next couple of years whilst you're in a reserve seat is a very risky... You know, I'm going to go on further, actually. Probably incur the wrath of Ricardo fans, so I do apologise in advance. I think it's a stupid decision to do that. I really do. After hearing what Sir Lewis has been saying recently, I do not expect him to be out of this sport within the next three seasons. I really don't. So why would Ricardo? stick around for three years as a Mercedes reserve driver, by which time we'd be 36, 37. Are Mercedes really going to take him on with all the potential options that they would have around him? Absolutely not. So I, don't, I, I personally don't see the Mercedes reserve driver seat. I mean, yes, of course, it allows him to be outside that F1 bubble and it allows him to go and do his own thing, but be a part of that program so he's a part of the team and understand it better. I just don't see the value for either side, really. No. It's a nice story, but I just don't really see the value. It's 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 bordering on when Mercedes promised to give Roman Grosjean a drive in their W11 for last season, which is, of course is still yet to do, and hopefully that they will. But it's probably no better than that. It's just like a nice gesture, really, with nothing really coming out of it. So uh, w- what do you reckon, Lee? Should uh, Ricardo look at a sabbatical, maybe, or another seat somewhere, or a reserve seat at Mercedes? Well, I, I do agree with you that I think it is a bit silly for him to go to the reserve driver. Um, I, from what, as you said, Lewis is saying, I don't. I think Lewis is in his mind. He's planning on staying around to the twenty-six rule change at, at least for now. Um, so I, I really don't think Lewis is planning on going anywhere. So that's a very big what if for Daniel, when it's not worth uh, ending his career as a Mercedes reserve driver. 
Um, so I think it's very much a decision for Daniel. If he's going to be like, do I walk away from the sport or do I take a back of the grid seat? Which obviously they won't pass, for example. I don't see him at Haas. I think out of the two, he's probably more Williams. But for example, I don't see Haas paying, able to pay the salary that Daniel wants. Um, or believes he should be earning. Um, so not not Williams at that matter either, actually. So it's a matter of do do I take less money to stay in the sport that I enjoy doing or just walk away and that's it. Um, that's my time. I don't see Daniel coming back. He may be a super sub occasionally like Nico Hulkenberg as of late, but I it, if he walks away or he becomes a reserve driver, that's it for Daniel. Um, so it's very much Williams a Haas or bust. Yeah, I mean, if money wasn't an option, Haas would probably be quite tempting, Yeah, really, because it's a nice team, you know, it's, it's, it's a young team as well. Gunther Stein has really got them working well. They produced a pretty good car, but of course, owing to the lack of development time and resources available it's obviously slowly fell down at the pecking order it's not really much they can do about that unfortunately it's just the way things are so it's not a bad team environment to be a part of and I think Ricardo would have a lot to offer there Williams on the other hand not really so sure how that would go down for them I'm not sure they'd be interested in a Ricardo because they've got Albon there obviously you know there's other options for some other drivers as well which of course we'll look at in a little bit and I think they're kind of more interested in pushing young drivers through and trying to find value there. So I'm not quite sure Ricardo would be tempted by that, to be honest. And there are other th- other things outside of F1 as well. I mean, we, we talk about F1 being the pinnacle of motorsport and the one series that every racing driver, from the moment they get into a go-kart or however they introduce themselves into motorsport, aspire to be in at some point in their f- uh, motor racing careers. There are other avenues, other lucrative avenues as well. I mean, Zach Brown offered Ricardo the chance to drive for McLaren in IndyCar. You've got Formula E. Now, some drivers, Sebastian Vettel, for example, don't exactly look at Formula E and think of it as uh, as a series really worth his time. With all due respect to Formula E, he just doesn't want to do it. Ricardo might not think that way about it. It's now a world championship recognized by the FIA. So if Ricardo wants to be a world champion in motorsport, there's an avenue there. I'm sure F- Formula E teams would be queuing up to get Ricardo in. He's often spoken about driving the V8 supercars in Australia, you know, wanting to drive in Bathurst. There's an option there. So there are opportunities for Ricardo outside of Formula One, perhaps some that aren't as taxing on his time as F1 can be and as demanding. I mean, we're talking about a driver that's openly admitted to not being able to understand the technical nuances and adapt himself in the same way that someone like Lando Norris has been able to be so successful at doing. So I don't know. I I just don't feel that there are any realistic F1 seats available for him to tempt him staying. That said, I just don't see the point of being a reserve driver at a team like Mercedes or taking a sabbatical. Unless you're someone like Fernando Alonso, who's gone out there and shown that he can still mix it with the best, come back to F1. Okay, it took him a little while to get up to speed, but once he did, it's the same Fernando that we know and love. You know, and and I love Daniel Ricciardo, but he's not Fernando Alonso. I don't think he has that burning desire or the talent that Fernando has in that regard to be able to pull that off at his age, let alone where Ricciardo is now. So I don't know if I were him. I would love to see him around, but he has to either be in a decent car or it's not really worth the time. I don't want to see Daniel languishing at the back of the field. I mean, you could argue, you could put a pecking order 
And I feel like I'm just literally constantly bashing him left, right and centre. And I apologise, but this is just how I feel about this right now. You can make a case when you stick the pecking order of how everyone's performed this season and you rank them. You'd probably say the only driver that's been worse than him is Latifi. So you can't really argue a case as to why a team should bring Daniel in, despite the fact that we spent 20 minutes talking about Alpine bringing him in to be a team leader, ironically. But, you know, I digress on that one. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Almost had dead air then. It's just trying to bring you into the conversation, guys. <laughs> Sorry, we both missed your prompt there. Um, no, yeah, he, he's very much... It would be a shame to lose Daniel. But I, as you said, it's... I don't see him wanting to take it back of the grid. Um, but it'd also be a loss of Formula 1. He's the se- second most followed uh, Formula 1 driver on social media has a very big following only behind Sir Lewis Hamilton. So from a from one is owned by a media company to lose that free advertising would be a would be a loss to the sport overall. Yeah, it's true. I mean, fortunately that you know Oscar Piastri can pick up the slack of that from uh, an interest in Australia. And uh, I've got high hopes for him. So you know we'll see how that goes. It, it is a, it is a strange thing. I mean as I said, I'm, I'm going to need one of you guys to pull me out of this fire that I'm pretty much throwing myself into when it comes to Ricardo and, and, and you know, finding opportunities to critique him. I'm, you know, I, I love the guy and I think he's a great asset for Formula One, but I just feel that you get to a point where you really have to justify your place in the sport right now. And, and given what's available, I just can't really make an, a fair case compared to some other prospects in there. And I, I just think that the seat's available to him. I just don't think it would int- interest him enough to do that to... I mean, Corny, what what are your final thoughts? Yeah, I I think the problem, the Daniel Ricardo conundrum is no matter how popular and likable you are, the world of Formula One is brutal. It really is brutal. There's only 20 seats available. We're hoping to see more teams enter the sport, but we are seeing a lot of talented drivers miss out on, you know, being a part in the pinnacle of motorsport. It's, it's, it really is. There's so much demand. So it is. It's, it's, it's a very, very brutal environment. You know, we're, we're seeing some, you know, some some fantastic drivers just sort of diminish into, like, look at Sebastian Vettel, a four-time world champion, top top of the world at one point. And he sort of, unfortunately, it's, it's like he's going out the trap door. And it's really, it's, it is really sad to see. So it, it can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter how likeable and successful you've been in Formula 1 and said Adam F1 is such a fast moving sport and it is it's, it does seem that Daniel's going to be and uh, at the stage it looks like he's going to be another victim of that culture yeah I mean we certainly can't rule anything out at this point no. but if I was a betting man I would not be betting on Daniel Ricciardo to be on the 2023 F1 grid. And that is a massive shame because he's such a likeable guy, one of the most popular people on the grid for good reason. And yeah, without without sort of laying into him anymore because I already realised the hole I've already dug myself at this point. But um, so I'm going to slowly retract um, myself before I get too carried away. Let's talk about some of the other seats. We mentioned Haas, we mentioned Williams. Guys, I do want to move on to the last part. So I'm going to put it to you now as a question. For those two seats... Who are we predicting to be in those two seats at Williams and Haas next season and why? Courtney, let's go for you first. 
Uh, I think Haas will stick with their, their current driver lineup. I think Mick Schumacher would be keen on a move to Alpine. But I just don't think with everything we discussed, I don't think that's going to happen for him. I think they'll stick with uh, their current driver lineup. Williams, I'd like to see Ricardo and Albon. But I get the feeling that Williams are going to bring in Sam Sargent. Because I think the American the American aspect will play a part. And he's been doing a decent job in F2 as well. So I think Sam Sargent could be you mean the one to... Logan Sargent. Sorry. No, Sam, Logan yeah, Sargent. Yeah, Sam Sargent. Sorry. Isn't he uh, the guy that plays up front for Norwich? Probably, probably getting the two mixed up. Yeah, I'll, I might be getting him mixed up. But I know, I know yeah. Logan is the one that drives the, <laughs> in the Williams Academy. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. yeah, Sergeant. So yeah, so Sergeant. I reckon it'd be Sergeant. I think the American, the American part. Because I'll say could bring an American-based um, driver in Colton Herta. So I just think Williams bringing in an American-based driver. Obviously, obviously with his with his background, that'd be a fantastic move for Williams. And as I said he's been he's been doing he's been doing a decent job up front for Norwich. So I can't see why he'd be able to do a good job in an F1 car as well. That's it, you know, good old Logan slash Sam Sargent <laughs> doing the business for Norwich on a Saturday afternoon and then drives and a Formula on 1 or Formula 2 car in the Williams on a Sunday. It's, it, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's a man of many, many talents and such a bright future. I can't wait to see. But no, I, I agree on the Logan Sargent front. I think this is a guy that I'm expecting to see in the Williams next season because Williams want to push through young drivers. Jos Capito has often said he wants to promote drivers and give opportunities in the academy. Logan Sargent, great opportunity to get that American investment and interest into the sport. Of course, an American-based company, no less Doralton Capital. So it's very important for them to get Logan into the sport. And, and Logan will have deserved the opportunity if he's afforded it because he's done a great job in F2 this year. You know, he's, he's a race winner there, currently P3 in the championship with one race to go. I think if he gets the right number of super license points, he should be very, very close. I think that's kind of what's pending. That's why Williams haven't formally announced it yet because they can't, so they're going to have to wait until the end of November to do anything. And I think as long as Logan, uh, I think, well, he needs P6 in this championship. He's got a 12-point gap to it. So unless unless anything horrible goes wrong for him, and I really hope it don't, you know, touch wood and all that, he should look like he ha He should get the number of super license points he needs to get into Formula 1. So, uh it's looking good for an American to be on the grid next season. It's just not going to be Colton Herter, unfortunately. And no amount of FP1 runs where you can get an extra point for each one that he does on top of racing in a junior series where permissible to get the extra points is going to allow him to get into the sport next season, which is a shame, controversial as it may be. But it looks like Logan Sargent is going to be the guy for Williams. Lee, before we uh, went on to all of that, didn't even come to you on your predictions there. So how about you for Williams uh, before we go to Haas? Williams, I reckon it's to be Mick Schumacher. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I, I have said it in the previous episode. I, I believe that Mick Schumacher is going to be brought into the Mercedes Junior program, and then that's going to tie him to Williams as a Mercedes Junior driver. Mm, interesting. It's my just my gut. Um, obviously, I don't know anything else. <laughs> no, I, no I, else I prefer your gut there. feeling to mine. And, and we're going to get into that in a minute regarding Mick Schumacher. But yeah, no, I mean, sounds promising. Absolutely. Why not? It sounds like a decent opportunity. Uh, Courtney, did, did we mention, did you mention Haas or did I interrupt you? Yeah, I, yeah I reckon they're going to stick with their uh, 
with their current lineup. But I must say, Lee, at least at least your option at uh, at least your option at Williams is an F1 driver and not a footballer. So you did a better prediction <laughs> than me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to think of clever names for other F1 drivers and footballers that you could just kind of swap between the two. I mean, I'm sure there's bound to be loads out there. I just can't really think of any off the top. I mean, Mick Schumacher is quite a handy footballer from what we see in some of the charity games, scoring a few goals. So uh, if F1 doesn't cut it for him, maybe he'll play in the Bundesliga or maybe he'll he'll play alongside Sam Sargent for Norwich next season if uh, old Timo Puki decides to call it a day there but uh, yeah you never know there's avenues out they there can have a, they can have they can it's so yeah if he leaves Formula 1 he can have a Puki party ah very nice <laughs> very nice indeed I like it this is what this is the prime content this is what you guys subscribe and tune in for puns like that and uh, less said the better so Lee Huss for next season Courtney's gone with Magnussen and Schumacher what about you I think Giovinazzi will get a second go in Formula One. Okay. And uh, yeah, do you know what? Uh, uh, His Ferrari connections bringing him back. So boring. Well, this is the thing because um, Schumacher is obviously moving away from the Ferrari Academy at the end of the season. Mattia Bonotto has obviously said regarding his contract situation with Haas that they're going to sit down at the end of the season to discuss something which doesn't sound overly encouraging. For me, if I was a betting man right now, yes, I'd probably go Giovinazzi as well and Sargent in the Williams. I don't think Mick Schumacher is going to be on the F1 grid next season. I just think that the opportunities that... Like, he's on everybody's list. He's on Alfa Tauri's list. He's on Alpine's list. He's on not so much Alfa Romeo's list, but he's obviously, you know, despite having that seat at Haas, he's obviously there for consideration, but not the number one target. I think Hulkenberg might technically be ahead of him in the pecking order in terms of what Haas won. And I don't think Williams are really seriously considering because they've got Sargent. It kind of makes sense. So, and I think they're waiting for him to get the super license points that he needs to confirm that. So, yeah, I, I just feel that Mick Schumacher won't be on the F1 grid next season. As much as it pains me to say it, because anyone that listens to this show knows I'm a massive Schumacher fan and I want him to do well. But again, he, he's not exactly... He's not exactly, I didn't know, you know you were a Ralph fan. <laughs> well, you know, Ralph had his moments and a little reunion at Williams wouldn't exactly be a bad thing, but I know some people have different opinions on Ralph Schumacher. I'm just focusing on Ralph Schumacher, the driver, not the journalist. So, you know, forgive me that one for anyone coming after me in the comments saying, oh, I like Ralph Schumacher. No, I like the driver. Not so much a fan of the journalist. For those who follow will know why. Um, yeah, I, I just think someone's going to pick him up as a reserve driver, whether that's, it's probably, it might be Mercedes, you know, they're looking for a new reserve next season, I don't think it's going to be Ricardo. so yeah, maybe Mick Schumacher might not be a bad option, Toto could look after him, there's been connections to Mercedes through his father, and long before he actually joined the team as a race driver in F1, obviously he was racing for them, um, oh, what was it, in the, uh, I can't remember, was that pro, in a prototype series or something like that before he joined Formula 1? Obviously, he had a contract with Mercedes saying he'd drive for them eventually if they were in Formula 1, and it just took 20-odd years before that actually come to fruition. So, yeah, I can certainly see that happening. Ferrari, yes, they could take him on a reserve, a reserve driver, but he's leaving the academy. So I don't really see how that fits in, and Robert Schwartzman probably will be thrusted into that position to replace Giovinazzi if he does get an F1 seat. So, yeah. Bold as it might seem, I just don't think... I think Ricardo, Schumacher, neither of them are going to be on the grid next season, which is a real shame, but, you know, that's F1. You have to demonstrate that you deserve to be there. I can't really argue that Mick Schumacher has definitely laid down a fair case that he should still be in there. I just think he's been okay, but if there might be better options for Haas out there. 
So let us know your thoughts, guys. Who you think is going to be in those final seats? And uh, yeah, let us know in the comments. For, last thing I want to talk about, the F1 calendar has been announced a little bit early than expected by Formula One. And a lot of the things that fans have brought up, there's been a f- few controversial points that fans have brought up. First of which, of course, the lack of grouping by region in most places. Yeah. And, um, you know, F1 talks about trying to reach this net zero carbon target by 2030, which, of course, we had Rima Assad on last week telling us she wasn't confident that F1 was going to achieve this. Looking at the calendar, I can kind of see what she's on about, really, because one in particular, the um, the double header between Azerbaijan and Miami, you know, because you, you only need to walk over. There's a short drive between Baku and Miami. You've also got uh, a few triple headers in there. Another one that sticks out as well is the Belgian Grand Prix, which is happening. Oh, just looking for the calendar. Thirty. Oh, you got quadruple. We got quadruple header in July. Yeah, yeah. Um, July's a joke. I know it's not a quadruple header. We've got two double headers. Fortunately, we have got oh, a week yeah. break in there, but we've got four races in that month. But the most interesting one, Courtney, is the Belgian Grand Prix on the thirtieth of July. Yeah. Can I? Do either of you know why that one is quite interesting? I, I saw, isn't there supposed to be another series racing that's, at Spa that weekend? That's right. The uh, 24 Hours of Spa race in the WEX series, Le Mans WEX series, at, or not Le Mans, obviously, 24 Hours of Spa is happening on the same day, which was already announced before that. So that is going to be one hell of a support race. And how, I don't know how the F1 race is going to go around overtaking all of those uh, w, WEC cars. That's going to be quite interesting. So obviously, I'm, I'm going to guess here that WEC is going to, you know, uh, concede and obviously have to move to another date. But that's some strange planning by F1 to announce it like that without getting all their ducks aligned. The crossover world championship. Yeah, it could well be. I mean, <laughs> Fernando Alonso maybe, likes maybe. doing these, isn't he? How's he going to do <laughs> yeah. that? That'd be interesting to see if he did both of them at the same time. Maybe that'd be uh, Dan Ricciardo's chance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's driving in the Toyota in the in the World Endurance Championship, and he ends up being. That would be quite an interesting. We've always argued as what would be faster around Spa? Would it be a um, the Toyota LMP car, or would it be a Formula One car? Maybe that's an opportunity to have that race go. once for all. We'll get Max Verstappen in the <laughs> RB18, and we'll chuck him against. Uh, oh, I don't know, Kazuki Nakajima, or maybe Anthony Davidson, of course, in the Toyota. Yeah, have, let them have a race, see how that goes. But yeah, it's just strange planning from F1. And um, I mean, we're not even going to get into the debacle. We're trying to get tickets for the British Grand Prix next season. And the, the pricing issues there are oh, absolutely ridiculous stuff, what they were doing. They're really, really strange stuff. And uh, just another example of our fans in a country that's going through a cost of living crisis right now, are obviously feeling like they're being taken for a ride when it comes to trying to buy tickets for an F1 race. So uh yeah, but I mean, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? 24 races as well. It's the largest calendar that F1 has on record. The largest permissible amount under the current Concord agreement with other races looking to try and get in. France is out. China is in. Even though China haven't confirmed on their COVID policy if they're going to allow people in the country next season. So, uh, yeah, what what are your thoughts? Is 24 races too much for starters? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 too many races, one hundred percent. You know, particularly when we're talking about obviously not only the environmental impact, but also you know, we're having like elements of the sport being tarnished because of this cost cap. You know, we're having the sort of competition being diminished. We're seeing ridiculous um, engine penalties sort of coming in and making some of the starting grids 
look laughable. Sometimes, obviously, sometimes it does make for an interesting grid, but to, to see so many grid penalties because of these caps that have been in place, been put in place, does come across as ridiculous. And then you're going to add more add more races, which is going to add uh, pressure in terms of that parts. I don't know if they're going to add by sort of change the um, the permissible parts that you can use for getting grid penalties. That's something else that needs to be asked. The strain on not only the drivers, but the staff within all the teams, the, the engineers having, obviously you have like the, the crew having to move the the, the sort of the, the parts of the cars and the rest of the the materials from country to country logistics that's what I mean from a logistics perspective it's gonna make life harder the only positive real positive I see from it is obviously yeah for us it's great having more and more races just from a watcher perspective but also having an early start to the season we won't have much of a winter break so I suppose that's a good thing yeah I mean I don't know. I think you get to a point now where F1, there's always that desire to have more and more races, more entertainment, not to mention the fact that there's going to be sprint races included in some of these as well. I mean, we've got six at the moment, uh, or sorry, no, three at the moment, but we're going to have six, I think, from next season. Yeah. So you've got even more going on there. I mean, I mean, that's such an undertaking for people working in F1. I mean, we had Mike Caulfield on not long ago, the um, head of race strategy at Haas, former head of race strategy at Haas, and he was saying that the, the sprint race is on top of everything else. It's just making it so hard now to sell this dream of working in Formula One, but more importantly, retain good quality staff because of the, the lack of a work-life balance. There just isn't one. It's literally work, 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 work. Come home for about five minutes to see your family, just to remind them that you're around, then go back to work more Formula One races. I mean, it's great for a show, great for the fans. We love seeing it. And you see loads of people coming out saying, oh, this is too much, it's too much, blah, 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 as we do. And then they'll sit in front of the TV and go, yeah, F1's on another week. You know, you're going to yeah. enjoy it. But you obviously, you obviously have to take into account the strain on... The, the wonderful people that work so hard with very little reward other than just living their dream, if you like, working in F1, to make all this happen for us. It gets to a point where, logistically speaking, they haven't addressed this at all properly, not not necessarily from an environmental perspective, which they haven't, but from a geographical one. They haven't grouped the races into regions to make this a much easier process. And the desire seems to be to get more and more races onto an otherwise congested calendar. So... I don't know. It, it just feels right now that we get, we're already at breaking point at this point. Mm -hmm. I think you got to start making those tough questions. I know some people say, oh, well, you know, races will get removed from the calendar and it'll be unpopular. We said, well, okay, fair enough. But this, you got to address that human element to it. And, and I don't think they've done that at F1 at all. There just seems to be this desire to get more races on the calendar. Oh, yeah. yeah there's I a massive desire for more races. I think they said that they would love to get up to 30 races at oh, one day. Yeah, I mean, how do you get that all in? I mean, it's going to get to a point where I think someone did a clever graph saying that on this current trajectory, you're going to end up with 52 races on the calendar by 2168. I mean, no amount of exercise and healthy eating is going to allow any of us to see that day to sort of fact check against it. Um, but, you know, it, it's just... It's just ridiculous. I mean, we're obviously exaggerating. They're obviously not going to do that, I hope. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It just feels crazy right now. I mean, on top of everything else, it's just... I don't know what more there is to say on that, really. It's just so many races. As much as I like seeing them, it's just too much. Yeah, it's too much. I think um, I think it was Total for maybe in Christian. I'm not too sure. Um, but one of them said that they're going to have to look at 
doing uh, engineer rotations for their teams. Yeah. Um, because they can't do it. But um, but then that also brings in the question: um, if the engineers get to rotate, obviously the drivers love their sport because that's the race, the um, team principles. Brown using Christian or Toto in this position because I can't remember who said it. But will they have to look at rotating? Because if the right, it's all well and good that your staff rotate, but as a boss, you're going to want to spend time with your family. Both Christian and Total have families, so they're going to want to um, have time with the family. So will they need to rotate? Some of the drivers have families, and so you're going to have multiple drivers in the team because they're going to have to rotate because you can't race every race of the season. It's as you said, the human element. When do you pull that point that one person can't do all of this? Um, races and the PR and the practice sessions and then traveling around the world and maintain that, that work-life balance with seeing and having their family. Um, it is a bit uh, ridiculous. Mm. I won't worry too much about Christian Horner. He's married to a Spice Girl, so he's fine. <laughs> he's lucky enough already. Um, but I mean, on a separate note, regarding the announcement it has created some controversy in in other areas as well i mean not just because of course what we mentioned with uh weck in belgium obviously that's clashed with that which is going to make it an interesting weekend for all to see but the announcement itself was under fire for the fact that they never really let any media know about this they just fia and the world motorsport council just kind of announced it off their own back with no warning and what this has done is seen certain places, certain hotels and accommodation hike up their prices in anticipation of a lot of people trying to book um, accommodation straight away. I mean, we had um, Ben Hunt, who's been on the show a few times, the uh, reliable F1 journalist. He shared on his social media a little search that he did of some of the hotels around where Silverstone is in Northamptonshire, in Toaster and Milton Keynes and stuff like that. And you, some of these hotels for free nights for one room are as much as two and a half to three thousand pounds i think one hotel was about just under four grand in bletchley which is near milton Keynes, not too far from silver i mean that's crazy your, your, courtney's face says it all if you're not oh watching this on youtube and you're listening to this courtney is putting off the sort of shock face that you see on most thumbnails these days that get you to click on them <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah that's it. this isn't clickbait yeah, maybe we this should do that genuine. for this one. Might get some more views on it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I digress. But uh, it, it, crazy, crazy stuff. And I think someone made a good point replying to that. As insanely expensive as that is, that marshals that volunteer and give up their time to go to these events often book hotel accommodations to go to these events. They're not all local or from the local area. So some of them are going to be spending that kind of money. I don't know if they get reimbursed, but they're going to be out of pocket or something like that just to do a job where they're volunteering to have a motor race. And that's all come about because hotels, look, I'm not going to tell them how to run their business. They want to try and make as much money for an event like this. I'm sure that they, a lot of them bank on a huge amount of revenue coming in from this weekend at the British Grand Prix. But that's just insane. Like, how do you sort of plan around that? It's just absolutely crazy. And, uh, it's just another example right now of F1 being out of touch with its fan base. They send yeah. out all those surveys that everyone gets every other month or every few months saying, oh, we need a fan survey because we need you to tell us how we're doing and what you can do better. They don't seem like they pay attention to it or they actually learn any lessons from it because I'm pretty sure none of the fans ask for this. I think this is another example of um, Formula One being a victim of its own success. You know, with... We've seen it over the past 20 years in football as well, where, you know, the, the average man has been sort of priced out or going to, um, you know, football over the course of the season, you know, getting season tickets. Or even going to, like, even my time as, as a football fan, I've seen, like, even the 
the cheaper cup games becoming more expensive because of the demand that comes with it. A Formula One has never been like a cheap sport to go and see. Like particularly, it's, it's always been more expensive in the UK. You know, that's 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 the reason why when I chose a race to go to, it was Spa. It was still cheaper to travel and and you know and, and camp and whatnot at Spa rather than go to the uh, rather than go to Silverstone. But because Formula One has become so much more popular over the last couple of seasons, at least with the Drive to Survive se- um, series, a new generation of fans coming in, with that demand comes money. So in a sense, it is it's just like football, where it's starting to become a victim of its own, own success. Yeah, and, and I feel like F1 and the FIA are not listening to the teams and personal either. I mean, let not so much the 24 races, which is insane enough already. I think that's a bit too much. I think 16 to 20 is kind of... 20 is a good number, quite frankly. But when you're pushing closer and closer to 30 year on year, that's just crazy stuff. I don't know how they're going to manage that with sprint races in addition to that. One other thing as well, the triple header between USA, Mexico and Brazil in the latter part of October to November next year the teams actually haven't agreed to this. You know, this is a huge sticking point for logistics because for anyone that's worked in F1 or knows how difficult it is to move equipment around from one race to another, will know that that triple header is an almost impossible one to manage. So I don't know where the FIA F1 have gotten off trying to announce that before the teams have agreed to this. That's a very strange one. Another another thing we haven't even mentioned yet, this is the first news that we've had that the Monaco Grand Prix is going to be on the calendar. Now, they did formally announce it afterwards, but they didn't actually announce that it was going to stay on the calendar until 2025, until after the calendar had been unveiled. So I suppose, guys, we've got to ask the question, what what are our thoughts that Monaco is staying on the F1 calendar for a few more years? I've got a solution. Go on. I've got a solution. If we've, we've got the sort of, you know, a, a backed up uh, calendar, we've got so many days, let the... Uh, let the teams and the uh, people around the logistics have a day off. Let's just make uh, Monaco a qualifying only. Whoever, whoever finishes pole, just give the points to go on because the race is a possession anyway. So just have the Saturday in Monaco and then move on to the next one. Leclerc might actually win one if we did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm all for that, give guys. Give the points on a Saturday. I'm That's all for it. that. There you go. <laughs> I'm all for that. And then it probably seemed, you know, it ended up doing what he did a couple of years ago when he got that red flag when he crashed out. So, uh, Ah, oh, poor Leclerc. But he gets a few more opportunities to win at Monaco, so that's always can't be a bad thing. It's mm. got to happen at some point. Just, uh, well, you never know with Ferrari, do you? Lee, what are your thoughts? Three more years of Monaco. Looking forward to that? It's nice to have one of the Jewels of the Crown tracks still on the grid. But long term, if the race is going to remain, I think they need to look at the layout to increase the opportunity for overtaking. Um, I did read, I can't remember which article it was, but I had read um, an article where they said amending one of the, so oh, I can't remember the name of the corners, but it's, you know, you go into the tunnel. Um, mm-hmm. Adam looks confused. I'm trying to visualize this in my head. You can't so you, you can't see this if you're listening on YouTube. I'm closing my I'm listening on um, not YouTube, um, on anything but YouTube. Really, if you can't see this, like I'm trying to close my eyes and visualize this. And but, oh, this but, is but, annoying me now because I know this. Is it into Portier? <laughs> is it Portier before? 
I'm hoping someone can I'm googling this I'm sure it's Portia um, it must be go on you carry on Lee while I do a google search on what the they google. basically said is instead of turning right into the tunnel you take take a left and add a there's a currently there's a junction but remove the junction and add a roundabout then that gives a effectively another chicane with a longer back straight down to Ah. Um, okay. which would potentially increase overtaking chances. Yeah, and that's what we want. We just want some overtaking. And it's all right, it'd be costly to do that. And obviously, um, Monaco is the principality, probably won't want to change the road out for a race. But it's a small win like that. And if it makes the race more interesting, I mm-hmm. think it's something that Formula One should be talking to Monaco about doing. Um, Absolutely. Obviously, I'm not saying knock down buildings to add in gravel tracks or things like that but uh, i think um they need to amend the layout to increase the racing well i was right it was portier yeah i didn't want to interrupt (laughs) you there i want to let you finish the point from build up next time so i'm right i got a corner right so uh, i'm already better than crofty never mind um (laughs) as you know now of course (laughs) oh boy we're having a good one today um okay well i mean i feel like we've covered a lot in this news round up anyway so guys before we well before we sign off let us know your thoughts on all of the major talking points that we've discussed and all of the news topics that we discussed regarding the alpine driver test and the current driver situation ricardo's future and the 2023 f1 calendar and of course some of the remaining seats as well but if you've enjoyed this episode you know what to do guys leave a like and subscribe to the youtube channel dnf1 trying to get to a thousand subscribers of course If our topics of discussion have tickled your fancy or if they've entertained you or intrigued you, or even if they've not, please do support us if you can. We'd really, really appreciate that. And of course, if you've followed us on your favorite podcasting platform, if you could give us a review, that'd be really, really helpful. Preferably a five-star one, but of course, any review, as long as it's constructive, will be much appreciated. Absolutely. Until then, guys. We're going to be back with the Singapore Grand Prix preview. We're going to have the regular crew, trying to get my words out of there, regular crew back as always for that one. Very much looking forward to it. Is Max Verstappen going to continue on his current form? Or could we see a surprise from Ferrari or maybe even Mercedes? Who knows? Perhaps someone else, maybe at Singapore, might give us a bit of a surprise there next weekend. But until then, please stay safe. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.